Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered. Josh here, and if you listened to yesterday's podcast, I said I wasn't going to be doing one today. Yeah, here I am. Here I am, I thought. Might as well squeeze some time in to do another podcast if I have the opportunity. So I am back. Uh, I wish everyone a good weekend today. If you're not going to listen to this one, you listened to yesterday. There, you had two weekend wishes. So today, I'm going to talk about the New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers. Then Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky uh, to a three-year deal. Very interested with that decision. Not sure if I agree with it. Then Lakers lose again yesterday. Heat Celtics tonight. Again, Nuggets Lakers tomorrow as well. And then I'm going to finish uh, with a bang college football. I'm going to make a big prediction. Uh, don't know if I've ever made a bigger prediction on this show. This is, I think, will be my moment where hopefully doesn't live on in infamy. Uh, to haunt me from now on as I'm going to tap that the rest of this college football season. But let's start with the New York Jets. Uh, yesterday on my podcast, I talked about, uh, to end the show, I talked about like my top five documentaries, and I talked about McGregor Forever and just kind of great sports documentaries. Um, and yesterday, the New York Jets dropped one. Uh, we're having like a three episode docu-series on kind of once the season was over till right now. Uh, which again, I wasn't really aware of until yesterday when I saw the Jet social media kind of hype it up and I thought, oh, I might as well tune in and watch it. So I watched the first episode, which dropped yesterday. And it took place from, you know, the day after the season was over until, you know, they got, Aaron Rodgers with the Aaron Rodgers introductory press conference. And to me, it made it sound like Aaron Rodgers was their option all along. Uh, after the season was over, literally the day after the season was over for them at January 9th or whatever, Monday you do uh, for the losing teams, any final media uh, pressers and questions, and Robert Sala, Joe Douglas said, you know, we're going to look at bringing a veteran quarterback into New York. That was kind of their big message was bringing a veteran quarterback into New York. Now the question is, what kind of veteran quarterback are they bringing in? Uh, because there's a bunch of veteran quarterbacks, but there's levels to this. There's the veteran quarterback, which they've had in Joe Flacco, but then there's one in Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers. So, again, you have a range of veteran quarterbacks. So that's a very vague statement for veteran quarterback because you begin Ryan Fitzpatrick, and guess what? He's a veteran quarterback that fits the bill. That would, again, disappoint Jets fans, but it would fit the bill. But to me, it really made it seem like Aaron Rodgers was their only option. Uh, of course, Aaron Rodgers didn't know what he was going to do. He had his darkness retreat, so during that kind of unsure time, the Jets did interview with Derek Carr. Uh, again, it seemed to go well with Derek Carr, that interview. But to me, I don't think the Jets were sold on Derek Carr. And I think anybody who watches football knows that Derek Carr, he's just not that guy. He's not a championship 
quarterback when we see him play Mahomes or Justin Herbert. He is the second-best quarterback on the field. Uh, there's levels to this. Aaron Rodgers is light years, light years ahead of uh, Derek Carr. So, again, I think he was their only option. I think once Derek Carr signed with the Saints, it kind of made it clear for them that, hey, we got to go out and do this. And to become realistic with some things the Packers were saying as well, that they you know weren't going to comment on Aaron Rodgers' future or didn't know anything. Um, and then, you know, we went out to fly and meet him uh, in his home in Malibu, bring the entourage out, uh, which, again, I thought was great. Nice touch for the um, Jets there. They ended up getting their guy, so they got Aaron Rodgers. Um, again, some people still think that, you know, why would you give up, you know, swapping first-round picks? And giving up some other draft picks for Aaron Rodgers. Because as the Jets think, you know, they had a top five defense last year. They had the defensive rookie of the year. They had the offensive rookie of the year. You bring in some more pieces that Rodgers is familiar with, as well with these young guys. This could be a special season for the New York Jets. Now, again, the two options primarily were Derek Carr, or Aaron Rodgers. Now, I would rather have Aaron Rodgers at 39 years old going on 40 with two years left on his contract than Derek Carr, who's 32, going on 33. And he could have, let's say he has seven, eight more years left to play till he's 40. Aaron Rodgers just has two years on his contract. Let's just play, say he plays remaining two years. Derek Carr wants to play till he's 40, so he has seven, eight years he signed a four-year deal, so at minimum, that's going to take him to 36. I would rather have Aaron Rodgers for two years than Derek Carr for seven and eight. Yes, you'll have more stability for that seven to eight years, but I guarantee Derek Carr's going to retire without a Super Bowl ring unless he's a backup. He's not winning a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers gives a team at 39-40 in the next two years, a greater chance to win than Derek Carr. Aaron Rodgers at 39 is better than Derek Carr is at 32. That's just the facts. You have to accept it. Um, so I'm all in on Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. And when they did that, you know, first episode yesterday, uh, wasn't a ton interview-wise on Aaron Rodgers until the end. It was really focused on, you know, Robert Sala and, uh, kind of just the off-season speculation. Finally went out getting him. But, but you know, short times that Aaron Rodgers did sit, uh, sit down and do, you know, commented in the documentary. He really does. He looks happy to be a Jet. And, you know, watching him the past few years in Green Bay, uh, he has not been as happy as he is right now in New York. And you can tell he's happy. You can tell he's embraced New York. And not only going to the sporting events, you know, the NBA games and NHL games, uh, then if they lasted. But this is something he would never do at Green Bay. He would never sit down with, uh, you know, a documentary crew in Green Bay and go over stuff like this and spend time at the OTAs and other training camps before uh, this preseason started. 
He didn't do this in Green Bay. I think he did like one mandatory mini camp every year for Green Bay the past few years, and that was it. Outside of that, he was going down to Peru to take his ayahuasca and do all these crazy things, go uh, radio dark silence on the Green Bay Packers and all this. And he looks different. He looks changed. He looks happy. His mentality is better. And to me, somehow, he looks younger. I don't know if it's the haircut, haircut and the beard trim, uh, but he looks younger and healthier since he's been traded than he was with the Green Bay Packers. Now, sometimes you really do uh, need a change. It can't just be, you know, just a minor uh, change in your life that you take. Uh, sometimes it has to be drastic. It has to be uh, moving states, you know, later in your life. Um, totally different uh, situation and people around you. Um, and that's what Aaron Rodgers did. You know, to me, I think this year of Aaron Rodgers is going to be uh, more res uh, resembling uh, Tom Brady's first year in Tampa Bay, honestly, than Russell Wilson's first year in the Denver Broncos. I think Aaron Rodgers will put up good numbers. Uh, they're going to be a playoff team. Um, I don't think it's going to be like a fight for the playoffs. Like, are we going to get in or not sneaking? I think they're going to lock in. I do think they're going to win their division. Um, I think this is a dang good football team, and I'm excited to watch the Jets play. Now let's move on to other NFL news. So the other thing was the Steelers signed backup quarterback Mitch Trubisky to a three-year deal. Uh, again, through 2025. Uh, I was a bit, you know, questioned, you know, about this, like, what? Uh, full details haven't gone out with this contract, but he is guaranteed to make $8 million in the first year of his deal. $8 million. Now, that's a lot. Kenny Pickett, uh, I don't think, is getting that much money in year two of his rookie contract. But what does this say about Kenny Pickett's progression? And I mean that because Kenny Pickett, I think, is going to be the starter, penciled in to be the starter. But usually when you have uh, your starting quarterback, you don't sign a backup to be, you know, a higher-paid contract than your starter uh, for the duration of that um, as well. So I thought that was interesting. Is the question is, do they trust Kenny Pickett? Because if Kenny Pickett is your guy, you don't sign Mitch Trubisky to a deal worth more than him. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, before backing up uh, Kenny Pickett, starting for the job last year for the Steelers, he was a backup on the Bills. Typically, you sign backups one two-year deals max, unless it's a good, pristine backup. But Mitch Trubisky ain't that guy. Typically, you don't see moves like this when you have your guy. So I don't know how I feel about it, how Kenny Pickett feels about this. And when you look at their stats, I think Kenny Pickett's only going to get better. And I think Mitch Trubisky 
honestly is kind of done. You look at Mitch Trubisky, his career completion percentage is 64%. Uh, and then his passer rating is 86. Highest QBR ever was 71, which he made for Pro Bowl. Uh, so, again, not great. Uh, were Pickett's numbers better this year? No. Completion percentage, 63 Again, to Mitch Trubisky, 64, so 1% less. Uh, passer rating in his first year starting was 77, uh, so 9 less. Then uh, Mitch, and then his QBR was around 51.5, which is average. Again, uh, similar to a lot of Mitch Trubisky seasons. So to me, they're very similar quarterbacks in terms of production, but I like Kenny Pickett's upside more. I like his... Stealing more of this was only his first year. I think he'll get better. So, again, I don't get signing him when you can sign uh, a lower-level guy. Uh, less drama and just give Kenny Pickett really the full wheels. Uh, because what's going to happen, uh, Kenny Pickett, is he going to have a, a tough stretch? Two, three games. Dan's going to be calling for Mitch Trubisky. Does Mike Tomlin cave in and throw in Mitch? And Mitch has one good game, of course, right after that. Keeps him in. And then he reverts back to his meme, which is not very good. And then you start Kenny Pickett, and then there's no trust between Kenny Pickett and the quarterbacks. And there's mess, mess, uh, a lot of mess, again, to me, very similar to what happened this past season with the Patriots in terms of Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. So it's going to be interesting. I'm not a fan of this move for the Steelers for Mike Tomlin. I wouldn't have done this deal uh, for Mitch Trubisky, uh, but we'll see how this works out um, for the Steelers as Mike Tomlin once again. Because I had a losing season, so I'll continue to let him uh, deal with that. Next up, Lakers lose. Again, this is their first time in the playoffs losing two games. In a row, uh, down 0-2 to the Nuggets. And I thought yesterday, uh, to me, I thought was their worst game um, of the playoffs. Uh, when they played the Grizzlies, you know, they had a chance to win game two um, without Ja. Yeah, they did get smoked for, I think, like 15 in that game five. But I thought AD uh, played really well outside of LeBron. I thought there was some fight in in them. Uh, Again, against the Warriors, um, you know, they got punked in game two. The Lakers did. But, again, I thought LeBron played well enough in game two. AD was terrible. But I thought LeBron was efficient enough. And then in game five. I just knew the Warriors uh, weren't going to lose in Game 5 down 3-1, and again, LeBron played well. Uh, But this, to me, yesterday uh, was the loss, even though it was close five games, where I don't think LeBron, AD, uh, anyone outside of Austin Reeves particularly played uh, really well. Um, Anthony Davis, again, followed up his 40-point game, 
with 18 points. Half of those were free throws. Uh, it took him 15 shots to get that, and he get 11 and 11 times at the line, nine for 11. That's where his damage was done. Uh, 14 rebounds. LeBron, 22 points, but 19 shots to get there. He was 0 for 6 from 3. At some point, you just got to stop jacking these shots up. To me, LeBron is better when he's 2 for 3 from 3, and that's how he beat Golden State. When you're 2 for 3 from 3, you don't force those shots up, you drive, you attack the rim. That's how the Lakers and LeBron are going to win this series and play well. D'Lo has been terrible. You can't play D'Lo down the stretch. We did it yesterday. I believe in the first two games alone, they're a minus 50, not, no, that was DeAndre. I think we're a minus 41 with him on the court, and they're a plus 37 with him off the court. So what does that tell me? Get D'Lo out of there. He can't play defense. They target him. Uh, and when he's, again, not knocking down shots 10 points again, you're not going to win with that. Austin Reeves, I thought, was the best player. 22 points plus 13. He was 5 of 9 from 3. Um, he's played great in these two games after kind of a tough um, series against the Warriors. Uh, Rui Hachimura, I thought, was really good. 21 points, 8 of 10. Made his first 8 baskets as well. Um, I thought down the stretch it should have been, um, you know, Schroeder, Reeves, James Hachimura, and Davis. Um, again, Vanderbilt is nice, but his offensive game has been leaving a lot to be desired. Dennis Schroeder uh, offensively was terrible, um, two for nine. But his defense, I thought, had some of an impact, and then Lonnie Walker was good as well. So this, to me, was really more of a bad team game all around. And it was bad, but they still had a chance to win. They were up at halftime, again, up through stretches, up, I think, by like 10 at one point in the third quarter. And that just told you uh, that the Nuggets weren't playing particularly well. I, I don't think Aaron Gordon was playing well. KCP, um, Michael Porter Jr. had some time. Jokic really didn't have it going. Yeah, he had another triple-double, but it was only a 23-17 and 12. It wasn't some gaudy, crazy stat line. Uh, but the key was in the fourth quarter, Jamal Murray went off. Jamal Murray took over uh, 23 points in the fourth quarter, outscored the Lakers uh, by himself in the fourth quarter, 37. A uh, total point, 6 of 14 from three. He was great. Um, that's what's going to get you beat is players like – uh, Jamal Murray stepping up in the fourth quarter and taking the game over. That's what you want to see from a player. Uh, and he was talking a lot of trash uh, afterwards as well, saying, you know, he's one of the better players in the league. There's not a lot of players in the league better than me. Uh, so now he's kind of really awake in the team. He's talked a lot of trash now after these two games. So I give him props to him, considering the Lakers shot better from the field than him. Uh, of course, Jamal Murray was a reason they got better from the three. Uh, free throws were about the same. Uh, rebounds, again, both games, offensive rebounds, have gone in the Nuggets' favor. It seems like they want it more. And that, to me, is a big indication of that, are those offensive rebounds. So that, again, 
is the largest discrepancy. A lot of things, one to two points or percentage or stats off, but the rebounds, when it's nine in favor of the Nuggets, total 49-47 of those offensive rebounds, those second chance points, uh, that hurts uh, to give those up in back-to-back games. Uh, but I give give props to the Nuggets because now they're up 2-0. They have a, a stranglehold on the series. And Game two's a, game three is a must-win for the Lakers, uh, which I'll talk about after I talk about the Heat Celtics. So moving on now to the Heat Celtics. Game two is tonight in Boston. And it's going to be on Boston to close the deal. Uh, yesterday I talked about uh, how Boston blew. Uh, that lead um, against the Heat in the ha- during halftime, the third quarter came out flat. Jason Tatum was uninvolved in the fourth quarter, which of of course I think is going to get you lose if you're a if you're a Celtics uh, team and your best player is Jason Tatum. Uh, but I think Boston's going to win tonight because this line has gotten increasingly uh, large. It's at nine and a half point favorites for Boston. Uh, sometimes teams don't know, uh, Vegas doesn't know what's up when it's like a close, when you're like, how come they get three points when this team's clearly better? And then, of course, you know, they get beat. But when it's nine and a half point favorites, there's like no way uh, they're betting on Miami to win this game. And when we've seen Boston win games in the playoffs, it's usually by a, a wide margin. Closeout game against the 76ers. Uh, it was very convincing. Um, they beat the 76ers by nine in game six. That was close until JT took over. Uh, again, 76ers or Celtics 76ers. Uh, the game three one was convincing as well. Uh, one by 12 points. It was in their possession. And then against the game two, their first one of that series was by 25, 30 points. And you look the same against the Hawks. It was Double-digit, double-digit, they lose, uh, win by eight, lose, and then, you know, win by eight again. So when they win, it's it's pretty much been convincingly, and I think even when uh, when they win, it's been convincingly. But even when they lose, it's like they still have a shot to lose. It's not like they're getting run out of a gym. So I believe Miami will win these close games. But if it is – if Boston can keep what they had going at halftime – Going into the third quarter, so that um, going into the fourth, they're up, you know, that 15-point lead, and they have a stranglehold on it. I don't think they let it go. That's kind of when they, they shoot you out of a gym. Jason Tatum's running down up and down the court like he can't believe what's happening, and everybody's happy and making threes. And I expect that tonight from the Boston Celtics. I expect them to even up the series at 1-1 tonight. Again, I think Jimmy Butler... Uh, you know, will play well. Hopefully, uh, Jason Tatum doesn't turn the ball over as much. Uh, uh, Jalen Brown as well. And they just get back to shooting threes, which they can do well, uh, will do well, and I think that will help them get the win tonight. Then uh, with that Heat Celtics as well, I want to talk about Eric Spolstra said something in his uh, press conference as well, saying that he believes the play-in is help the team get this far in the playoffs. Uh, because, as he said, and I quote, there are far less teams tanking 
Everyone was fighting for it those last two months. Every game was must-see TV, and that was in both conferences. So I think for the league, that's probably the best thing that's happened in the last decade. And, of, well, you also uh, said that, you know, it's a blessing to kind of get through uh, the regular season struggles and still have a shot at the postseason down the stretch. And I think that uh, is good for a lot of teams, especially a team I think like the Heat or like you see the Lakers and the West, is that, you know, so much can happen in the last two months uh, post-trade deadline where you really turn your team around. It's like there's a belief now that you have a shot in before. If it was just the regular one through eight, no play-in, you'd really have no shot. So it's kind of like we might as well tank. So I agree that there are less tanking teams because Utah, I thought, was going to get Wimbanyama because they sold the farm uh, last year, all their talent. But they were still competitive there um, till the end of the season. So I think it's a good thing. I think the playing as well uh, helps you get out of the teams that have like a wild card chance. Like, you know, I wish my team were to get it, especially from a fan's perspective. It's the two best teams out of those uh, 7 to 11 or 7 to 10 teams. Those two best teams are going to get in. And I think they'll put up a fight. And I know this year was like a breakthrough of the play-in teams winning uh, series, which they haven't done before, but now two play-in teams in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, respectively. And I think that is a big deal uh, for the league, for the NBA. And I think that's a good thing uh, moving forward as well. We see similar things uh, in football and in baseball. Football near the trade deadline. Um, you could have a team that's 4-4. Four and four. Uh, you make some trades, uh, you finish in a wild card spot, you can go on to win the whole thing like the Ravens have done or, you know, the Giants have done a couple times. And then in baseball, we just saw the Braves do this a couple of years ago where they didn't look that good, didn't look like that great of a team. Again, trade deadline adjustments, finish the season strong, didn't win their division or anything special, but then they go on and win the World Series. So, again... I think this play-in is very good uh, for the NBA, and I certainly enjoyed it, and I couldn't agree more uh, with Eric Spolster, who I think is a great coach and is the best remaining coach of the NBA playoffs. Uh, there's really no dispute there. So then tomorrow, it's Lakers-Nuggets Game 3. Yesterday, I didn't say that this was a must-win for the Lakers Yesterday, but game three is. You go down 3-0, it's never happened before in NBA, and I don't think it's going to start with this Lakers team. So game three is a must win. I think it helps if they're going back home now. Of your home crowd that's been absolutely electric through this playoff playoff run where they haven't lost a game. Uh, I think that home crowd will be rocking. I do think there will be a sense of uh, desperation there. Uh, the role players, I think, will step up more. D'Lo, um, can't say he's a star because he doesn't really have good games away. Most of his good games come at home. Uh, again, I think Austin Reeves will play well like he's been playing. Uh, Rui. But I think the key is uh, LeBron took an awkward turn on his ankle. Of course, ankle and foot problems have kind of plagued him this year. So I did not like seeing that happen. So the question is, is there going to be any 
you know, setback to LeBron James and his foot uh, going forward with this team uh, because that is, I think, the biggest primary issue. You look at AD, everybody said he's uh, every other day Davis. So that means game three, we're in for a, a sensation, a virtuoso, a grand performance. But they're going to need LeBron to go as well. Um, so I know I picked Lakers to win both games. The first game I thought would steal, and I picked the second game for them to counter. But then I'm picking this is a must win. Now through two games, I'm thoroughly convinced that the Nuggets are going to win this series. Um, no changing my mind on that now. Uh, I think even if Lakers win tonight and, uh, what is it, Saturday night, Sunday night? Um, actually, yeah, tomorrow night and Monday night, actually. If they win those two games, that's not going to change my mind that they're going to win the series unless uh, some things have really changed with the team that, again, I just don't see. But I think the Lakers will definitely win tomorrow night, uh, get one game closer to the Nuggets. And then you look at the spread as well. I think Vegas has sold on them. They're five-and-a-half-point favorites. I thought with how good the Nuggets are, they would be you know three-point favorites. Just enough for the home court, but they gave them five and a half. I like the Lakers to win that game. Now I want to end up with talking about college football. And I guess, I don't know if this is clickbait or what you want to call it. Uh, but it is, I don't think Alabama under Nick Saban is ever going to win another national title. I just don't. Uh, you look at the team this year, I think they'll row as their quarterback. I think Georgia still is a better team. And when you, I look at other teams, Michigan, Ohio State's of the world, uh, USC, I think they're more talented than Alabama. So I don't think they're winning it this year, which I think would be their last good chance because they came out with the updated recruiting rankings for Alabama. And Alabama is nowhere to be found. Uh, they're not in the top 10. Uh, let me scroll down the list here. They are actually number 12. Number 12. Now, that's unheard of for Alabama. Usually, they have a number one recruiting class so long. They're either number one or top three. Never have they been outside of the top ten uh, with Nick Saban in like ten years. So that's key. I think of, I think they'll go up a little bit because Florida's dropping. So I can see them sneak in to the top ten at like number ten. But when Oregon Ducks have better commits than you, Florida State, South Carolina has had a great recruiting class with a lot of momentum. Penn State's done all right for itself. LSU is now recruiting better than Alabama. Uh, Notre Dame recruiting really well. And then to me, you have like the three stalwart classes. Uh, as Ohio State at three, Michigan at two with a ton of momentum, and Georgia at one, which, you know, I'm looking at some of their players, it's kind of looking like a historic uh, class to bring in for some years. So this might be, I think this is the year if Georgia gets into the football playoff, which I expect them to because they're a good team and really coached. This would be the year to knock off Georgia before they really come back stronger. Um, and I don't think Alabama can do that. Uh, I really do think this is going to be Michigan, Ohio State, or USC, um, again, with just the talent they have already, not with the class coming in, but Again, I do not think Alabama will win another national title, national championship under Nick Saban 
This is the last year for them to do it, I think, as well, considering this is four teams. You only have to beat two. Next year, there's going to be a lot more teams, so they'll probably get in. But their team won't be as good, and you'll have to go to other teams' home stadiums to start off with. You'll have to play more games. Not as advantageous for someone who campaigned against that, and he knows why. So I believe the Alabama dynasty is over. What was it? Two or three years ago was the last time they won a national championship. That was the last one they win. Under Nick Saban, they will not win another national championship. Alabama is done. Book it. I will never talk about Nick Saban and Alabama winning another national championship. And I will continue to repeat that this whole year. So for those who might listen to my podcast uh, down the line, when I'm talking about college football a lot, I'll refer them here uh, to May 19th podcast on a Friday. Let them know that, hey, I said this, Alabama will never win another national title. Write that down in stone, everybody. So this has been Unbothered. There's a lot of great basketball games will be on tonight, this weekend. Hope you all have a great weekend. Bye, everybody.